am ready. Hello, and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Today feels like an optimistic day. Not for any good reason, just where I'm, but I'm going to run with it. You know what? Take it. Yep, These we'll days, you got to take what you take what you can. Yeah. So I have, um, I even though it hasn't been any longer than normal, I feel like I have lots of stuff to to share with you and our listeners, and lots okay. is like two. Um, but I'm going to start with a podcast recommendation for a non-science podcast. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Abram Van Engen, and a colleague of his uh, have just started a new podcast about poetry it's called mm-hmm. poetry for all um and you can find it at i will put a link in the show notes poetry for all fireside.fm and uh and they're both english professors who know something about poetry and so what they do is they read a poem and talk about it and then read the poem again um and each episode is like you know 10 or 15 minutes um uh, 10 or 15 minutes long and so you get to to listen to some poems and learn about you know, how to read a poem and what to think about. And it's very, uh, you know, accessible for those of us who have not read poems in a long time. That sounds awesome. So I strongly recommend that. And I'll put the link in the show notes, which are at juiceandsqueeze.net slash 28. Because we've been doing this for uh, just about a year, Julia. Oh, what's, uh, do you know our anniversary of our first episode? I, we, should we should look that up. We should. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Uh, please hold. Uh, September 3rd. So we've actually um, uh, just passed our one-year anniversary. So I would encourage you to eat some anniversary cake while you listen to this episode. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that's right. Yes, everyone, please stop listening. Go go bake a cake, uh, uh, as we do in times of COVID, and then, uh, you know, send us your cake pictures. Um, so the other thing that happened, uh, uh, this morning I got, uh, I got an email um, and I'm going to read it to you. And uh, also, thanks to our helpful uh, institutional IT people uh, in big red letters, it says external email caution. So I'm just going to read it with a little bit of a caution. Of course, that banner also shows up on lots of emails that are not external, but that's a whole other a whole other story. So here's here's the fan mail that I got this morning. Dear Dr. Jonathan E. Peel, we read your article. Completion norms for 3,085 English sentence contexts, which is interesting and informative. So right there, I mean, I'm already hooked. Uh, And then uh, we would like to discuss few points regarding the above publication. If you are interested, please reply with kind regards. Uh, Editorial assistant. uh, I'm not sure if that's their name or just their position. I guess it's probably just their position. uh, Clinical and experimental neuroimmunology. So I immediately have so many questions about about this uh, marketing. How your work is going <laughs> to <laughs> exactly. So first of all, I'm glad they found it interesting and informative. I mm-hmm. I didn't think it would really hit the neuroimmunology community particularly strongly. Uh, you know, given I that think the important lesson here is basic science is important, and you just never know what it's going to lead to. What kind of changes or innovations? Exactly. Might That's why we have to later. fund. We have to fund our basic research because <laughs> because here I am helping uh, clinical neuroimmunologists. Um, and so what I'd like to do is I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna type a reply, which I know you should never do. No one ever respond to to spam messages, but I'm going to. So if you'll if you'll bear with me, and then we'll see if I get a response. We'll have some follow up. So, uh, dear colleagues. Uh, thank you for your interest in our work. I'm so glad you find it informative. And I'm very interested 
in learning what points you would like to discuss. Best regards, Jonathan. It's it's like medium mean. Are there humans on the other side of that? Like I I don't I guess I don't understand how like spam publishing predatory journal stuff works really. I don't. Well, if they had said, you know, please send us your article for the upcoming issue, I understand how that works. But just, Mm -hmm. you know, please, you know, we want to discuss some points. Discuss it, yeah. Probably what they want to discuss is: do we want? Do I want to send them an article and pay them some money? But we we haven't gotten there. Right. We haven't gotten there yet. So, anyways, I will. I, I I actually just sent that now, and so I'll let you know if I if I hear back. Maybe by the end of this episode. Maybe, maybe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, if if they if they're not interested in my work, Julia, I could always give them your name and contact that's, information. That's if very, you're that's very generous of you, I too yeah. have a lot to contribute to behavioral neuroimmunology. Uh huh. I, I do hear some baby crying in the background. I don't know. I like. I'm fine with that if you are, but I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, I'm fine with that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is in times of COVID. This is uh, you know. <laughs> anyway, okay. what, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> yep. She's fine. She's just she's just a little tired and should go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yep, I know that feeling. Yeah, right. That's also how I feel. I can relate. <laughs> uh, all right. So the 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 topic for today um, is inspired by some conversations that Jonathan and I have been having the last couple of months. Um, given that it is back to school time, and many of us uh, are thinking about what we're teaching and how we're teaching it, um, we were talking about the fact that we teach so much more than just the content area of our classes and like the stuff of research in our labs, right? So like if I have a course, I'm going to teach sensation of perception. Like my job is to teach students how eyeballs work and have their minds blown about the wonders of perception. Um, But along the way, uh, I, I try to teach a lot of other stuff too. Um, I think this is especially true in in our research labs where we're trying to teach uh, content about a specific like content area. Um, we're trying to teach like skills of how you run your behavioral neuroimmunology equipment, things like that. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but in addition to all to those like skills and content, we also try to train our students and teach them a lot of other things that um, people don't talk about a ton. Um, uh, but when they do, they use the, the very silly name of soft skills. So these these things that people learn and are taught um, that aren't strictly about like the discipline and the content area itself. So we thought today that we would talk about some of these soft skills, the interpersonal stuff, the logistical stuff, um, and and the ways in which we try to teach them and and um, facilitate them in our students. Mm-hmm. Is that a good summary? Did I miss anything? Yeah, Is that no, I, I, yeah, think okay, that's, okay. I think that's really good. Yep. Um, and, and I was particularly inspired to do this because when I was working, I had uh, four wonderful students working with me over the summer. And um, I set aside a couple of lab meetings for talking about, usually in lab meeting, we talk about how the research projects are going and sometimes we'll, you know, read a, a scientific paper and talk about it. Um, but I set aside a couple of lab meetings for talking about these kind of soft skill things that we don't often have time to talk about during the academic year because we're because we're all more busy. Um, but I really want to find ways to work in because I think um, I know that most of the undergraduates who I supervise in my lab are not going to go on to like run their own lab studying speech perception as faculty members. Mm-hmm. Um, but all They're of not. them are going <laughs> to, <laughs> I mean, and, and, you know, and that's not, that's not 
I think one of the one of the differences between having like having undergrads in my lab and having grad students is that I'm not trying to train them to be me. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them some of them will want to go to grad school and get faculty jobs and run labs and study speech perception, um, but like most of them won't. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like it's actually uh, you know what I really want to teach them is how to be. Uh, thoughtful and understand what goes into science and what the limitations of science are and, um, you know, how to uh, uh, evaluate scientific claims. Um, And frankly, like to have soft skills, Mm -hmm. like many of the things, many of the things that we talked about this summer and, you know, I think we'll talk about today um, are going to be more important for students' lives than actually knowing you know, how to do some particular technique that we do for our research. Mm-hmm. I'm going to interject here. Why do we call them soft skills? I don't, I think, I think, <laughs> I think it's like, it's a little bit dismissive, mm-hmm. right? Like, like the way hard science and soft science right. is too, right? Yeah. Like the hard stuff is the important stuff. And then there's just like that filler fluff that doesn't really matter. But, mm-hmm. you know, somebody said you're supposed to know. Right. Yeah, because I think it's, you know, I mean, maybe life skills or like, you know, generalizable skills, right? I think typically people think about things that are not project specific in the same way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I learned how to trim a sound file using this particular program that seems very specific to like this. I mean, you can, you, you can use it for lots of things, but like for most people that might be specific to a research project. Whereas if you're, you know, time management or something or communication or something kind of broad is, is, you know, going to be less specific. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, I guess let's, let's start there. So one of the, um, one of the things that I, I hope students kind of come away from, um, my lab and maybe my classes too with, um, is, is a better sense of like how you organize a project that has lots of moving parts. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So any kind of project that you can't like cram and do the night before, if you have to right? something that is just going to be spread out over a long period of time or spread across a lot of people um, needs some kind of system. Right. You can't just be like, I don't know, we'll all just work and see what happens. And then maybe it'll be done at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we we use a lot of systems in my lab for kind of having people be accountable for who is doing what and in what order. Um, and a lot of systems for keeping track of what we have done. Um, one of the things that I have learned the hard way is that you just never remember anything as well as you think you're going to remember it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me. Maybe other people remember better, but like, you know, every time I'm like, wait, why did we decide in this experiment that we were going to X, Y, Z and do it this way? Um, and, and so I have found that you know, we now keep uh, project logs for every project. And every time you do anything in the project, you write it down to keep track of what you have done. Mm-hmm. And so this is the kind of thing where like, we have a really specific system for doing it in my lab, but understanding that as a skill generally of like, you're going to forget stuff. And if it's important for you to be able to keep track of it, you need a system for writing it down. That's more of like a general skill. Mm-hmm. So the, the, like the keeping, the keeping track of things. So for project logs, I mean, the way that we do it is just, you know, in, um, in a Google doc in that projects folder. And then anytime anybody does anything, they enter the date and say what they do. So it's, you know, it's a pretty simple system. Um, I mean, it's not terribly sophisticated in terms of like, you know, how, how we're organizing that information. Um, but, but even like more generally, 
the fact that if you're organizing things digitally to keep track of later, everything has to have like very transparent and obvious names. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, the purpose of each document has to be clear. And those kinds of like organizational things, um, I I think are things that certainly undergrads, um, in my experience, sometimes need some help with. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, so what's so interesting to me is um, for most of us, how much how little, uh, you know, explicit training we get in, in this kind of stuff and how much we just sort of, um, soak up whatever our, you know, our, our labs did when we were a student, right. Or at least for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Um, and so if you've, you know, so I, so for example, I have never been in a lab that had, uh, project logs. And so my current lab doesn't have project logs and I'm like, furiously taking mental notes as you're talking because that sounds like a really useful idea and one thing i like about it uh you know i don't want to get too distracted but it's kind of a low barrier to entry if you're like here's a document write stuff down in it um Mm -hmm. people but you know so the document's organized but but also you don't have to necessarily do lots of fancy stuff to contribute right so it's kind of lowering the barrier to 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 writing things down i think is always a, a really good idea um, but uh, anyway, the point of this is there isn't like a how-to book, like how to keep track of all your stuff in the lab. Um, mm-hmm. And most of us have not read that book. And so we all kind of figure out a way to do it, uh, which I think means also that the people in our labs and the people we work with, I think, are going to learn more from sort of observing how we have this set up than sitting down and saying, okay, today, you know, we're, I'm going to teach you about how to organize files, which mm-hmm. uh, that's probably not a bad thing to talk about. But anyway, I think a lot of it is more through the lived experience of working with an organization and then seeing how that works as opposed to like thinking about it in the abstract. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, you know, the things that I have in the lab manual about like, you may never save a file on the desktop. It always has to be in Dropbox or in Drive or somewhere where it's getting backed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and those kinds of like digital organization things of, I have accidentally lost files by saving them in the wrong place. I want to save you from, I want to save you from that same fate. Mm-hmm. Learn from my mistakes. There's mm-hmm. a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So actually, so yes, we've sort of like um, smushed together two topics. So one is sort of like project organization and documenting and then mm-hmm. the other one is like file system stuff and where do you save your files? And that, uh, for me, that's like a, a perennial challenge, um, which in some ways has gotten easier and in some ways has gotten harder with all the options. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. anyway, just, I mean, we have, we use box. This is also boring, but it's, it, it's actually important, right? So we use box at, at wash U, And so we all have box accounts. So, and that's like approved by the IRB for storing sensitive documents. So a lot of stuff is there. But I also use Dropbox for like my own stuff for for various reasons. Um, And then also we have stuff on Google. So you already got three locations that are all like shareable and kind of cloudy and not local. So yeah, they're all backed up. But like, which place do I look? You know, Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. sometimes I forget, which is which is then which is then very annoying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so yeah, I think that the teaching like not even teaching specifically like what systems are best, but, but just, you know, teaching that it's important to have systems and that it's important to, you know, take good care of your work and organize it in a way that you can understand it later. And other people could hopefully understand it if they need to also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's the, the organization of stuff 
and uh, you know, organization in, in digital life. Um, I think kind of a, a parallel is like organization um, for your like for your own time, like the kind of scheduling component of things. Um, I think one of the things that I see my undergrads kind of learn gradually over the course of their time at Carleton um, is is figuring out like what the system is that helps them keep on top of their work and stay um, stay focused and set deadlines and mini deadlines. Um, and, and I think that getting trained in a lab is a really good way to kind of see how you take a big project and break it down into a lot of pieces. And um, in a way that having something that's like, oh, I have a 10 page paper that's due tomorrow, but I can just bang it out tonight if I have to, um, mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't give you, right? That like, if you have a project like, oh, we're writing a manuscript or we're designing an experiment that you, you just totally can't cram, then, you know, you end up having to learn, um, having to learn how to do that kind of more gradual, gradual progression um, that I hope, I don't know, maybe I'm being overly optimistic, but I, that, that I hope then they can carry into other realms of life as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I think that's a really, a really good one. Do you, I don't spend in the past, I have not spent time kind of explicitly walking through those steps, even though we we do kind of, you know, break projects down and, and kind of try to do that planning. We have not done the meta discussion about like why you do that or how you do that. Uh, have you? No, I mean, we haven't, I haven't done it like as scheduled part of lab meetings. It's a conversation that I have one-on-one with students all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, when a lot of times people are like, I feel like I'm just so overwhelmed. I have so much to do. Um, sitting them down and saying, okay, so what's your plan? What are the things you have to do? How long are they going to take you? Let's mm-hmm. open up your calendar and figure out, you know, when you're going to do each of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I don't teach that like in mass, but I feel like I teach that one-on-one lots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one, it's one that I, that I always find like kind of, kind of interesting when I'm teaching it because, um, it is something that seems so obvious to me that like, if you have a lot to do, you have to write down everything that you have to do and plan when you're going to do all of those things. Otherwise it's not clear if it's all going to get done. Um, that like that, that's just something that I know so deeply in my bones. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something that I learned along the way. Right. I didn't always know it. A lot of my undergrads, you know, don't, don't like understand how to do it. Um, but, but it is like, uh, and, and so I think it's really useful it's a useful exercise because it's one of many examples of how things look so different once you have more experience with them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like I need to keep reminding myself how different it looks from their perspective, because otherwise I feel like it would be very easy for me to say, what do you mean you didn't get this done? You didn't plan ahead. What's mm-hmm. wrong with you? When in fact, like if you don't know how to plan ahead, like if you don't know, if you don't have a process, um, it's not like, it's not negligence. It's just, it's ignorance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, lack of experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing uh, for me, I also need to be reminded of this, of these things, even though I, I kind of, I quote unquote, know them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of us, especially when, you know, when things get stressful, um, uh, then it's sometimes hard to stick to those like more um, intentional planned out modes of yeah. doing things, at least for me. So like if, you know, if, if I have eight hours in a day, but I only have two hours of things to do, 
mm-hmm. that I can structure my day really thoughtfully and, um, you know, and, and take lots of walks and stretch and, and, you know, mm-hmm. be healthy and have a good attitude and all that. But if it's the opposite, if I have two hours, but eight hours of things to do, then quite often, instead of thoughtfully making a list and, and thinking about what to do, I end up just, um, you know, kind of doing whatever I can and kind of flailing a little bit, which I'm not mm-hmm. recommending. I just, that's the <laughs> mode that I go into. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think sometimes um, that's when it's really important to kind of have a system, but that's when it's hardest to do it. Sure. And I think just like having those conversations with students too, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I think it can be very easy to get into some really like uh, uh, black and white thinking of um either you have your act together and you know how to keep track of things or you're just not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so us sharing with them, you know what? I sometimes have a hard time keeping track of dot, dot, dot. And so I've tried been trying using this system and it kind of works for these reasons and mm-hmm. just as a way of like normalizing that it's a thing everybody works on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, the other thing, which, which I think we touched on a little bit in the past, but um, for a lot of people, uh, just the new, uh, I mean, students and and teachers, right? Like the whole new online learning or hybrid mm. learning or whatever we're doing, uh, you know, is it harder or easier to schedule? I don't know, but it's different. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are struggling with how to manage, you know, deadlines and time and, and whatever uh, in a new system, especially, I, I guess, you know, some classes are giving some more freedom with deadlines or, or mm-hmm. I am, but that also means that, that people have to be on top of their own deadlines because, yeah. because they're less externally imposed. So I think, um, I get, you know, I'm thinking about sort of ways to explicitly talk about some of the scheduling stuff with my lab, uh, especially because it might help them outside of lab too, right? Like managing yeah. classes and papers and, you know, exams and things. Yeah. Yeah. Related to the, the scheduling stuff. Um, mm-hmm. another one that, I talk about explicitly in my lab and my classes a ton um, is like work, work life balance stuff and the importance of figuring out your systems for taking good care of yourself, uh, even when there's a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, talk about one that, you know, even if nobody in my lab goes on to study speech perception, I want all of them to know how to maintain good work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so this is an example where we talk about it like explicitly in lab all the time. Um, I try to kind of talk about it and model it by, you know, talking about my own stuff and the ways that I'm trying to balance um, and, and, and being really explicit in, in lab and in class um, that working yourself to the point of exhaustion is not a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, I, I don't know if it's Carlton specific or high achieving undergrads general, I mean, not even undergrads, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how specific this is, but, but I see a lot of what looks like kind of, um, Olympic level competition of stress. Uh-huh. People being like, oh, well I have five papers due and I've only slept two hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and that's just so unhealthy. And like, uh, I mean, so both, both the, the culture of being proud of not having taken care of yourself and being so stressed out and working so hard, I mean, mm-hmm. but maybe not explicitly, but implicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I also talk with students a lot about trying to figure out, do they have that much work that they're not sleeping and all of that? Because like we are giving them too much work or is it that 
they have not managed time well or taken on too many extracurriculars or, you know, any, any other number of things that has made a reasonable amount of work not be reasonable because they haven't planned ahead well enough or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really hard to get a sense of, but I feel like just having those conversations and talking about, well, if you're going to double major and play varsity sports and do these three extracurriculars, like just let's look at your day and when are you going to have time to do, do things just for fun and, mm-hmm. oh, you mm-hmm. know, sleep and things like that. I mean, and talk about like a good life skill. That's something I struggle with all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it never... It always is very, I don't know what the word is. I, I, it kind of get, it gets me right in the gut to realize that, you know, what we all have the same number of hours in the day. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and sometimes I see other people living their life differently than me and I get envious. And then I think, well, what's stopping me from, from doing X, Y, and Z? You know, is it really that, that, you know, my quote unquote job demands are such that I, it's impossible or am I making choices about how I spend my time that I actually have control over? Mm-hmm. Um, and right. So like spoiler, it's, it's the latter, uh, you know, and, and there are things I can do to kind of change that. And so, but I think it's, it's so easy to not have that mindset and it's so important to just be really aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about this by the way. So uh, uh, it back in episode three, uh, which I'll, I'll put a link to join the resistance. We talked about taking time to sharpen our saws uh, and, and, you know, kind of be restorative and not, not work all the time. Cause that's actually not productive. Um, and I, I did, I need to hear it all the time. So I should go back and listen to our own episodes <laughs> at least, at least once a year. Um, but yeah, that's a really good one. And I think, I think you're right that sort of um, just modeling that and kind of sharing how we're managing that is, is probably a good, a good, example to set in the lab, right? Mm-hmm. I, um, there was a, there was a, a cartoon that made the rounds on Twitter a while back, um, by an artist called Liz, Liz Fosslan. Um, and we'll post a link to it in the show notes, but it's, it's like a little pie chart that says what I thought would make me productive. And the whole pie chart is hard work. And then it says, what actually does. And it's a pie chart that is divided between hard work and time off sleep healthy eating and exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved it when I saw it because it was, it's very, it's very join the resistance. And so um, the artist has, uh, has an Etsy site and I bought some postcards of that from her. Oh, um, really? And I'm going to put up in my office and in my lab, just, you know, as a way of also like emphasizing to my students, um, not only do I want them to maintain that, like that, that I, that I want and encourage them to maintain that balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things that I think is also important to like keep in mind when we're talking about encouraging our students to use their time more wisely and all of those things um, is that there are big um, differences and inequities in like the obligations that students have and therefore like the amount of free time that they have. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I look at my students who don't need to like work during the school year, um, they just have a ton more time. Like they just have many more hours in their week than students who, who have to work, um, uh, you know, because of financial pressures who, who have to work. Um, I also see big differences in like the kinds of pressures that people's families put on them. Um, you know, so I've had some students who, you know, say things like, Oh no, my parents have told me that I have to double major and I have to, you know, do all of these, do all of these other things. And the, the, the kinds of obligations 
that they have and the time pressures that they have look really different too. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, when we're talking with our students about managing their time and organizing their activities and making sure they sleep enough, um, that of course, because they're all coming from different places and have different, you know, different burdens, um, those, those, um, those levels of pressure looks, look super different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good, good point. So how do um, I, I think that's a really good point to keep in mind for us. Um, is that something then how do, how do we instill that awareness in, in our labs or people we work mm-hmm. with? Yeah, this is one. So, so I think, I think a lot about um, <laughs> the ways in which I'm trying to indoctrinate the students uh-huh. uh, <laughs> as, as I'm teaching them. Uh-huh. Um, and, and mostly, you know, it's about being good scientists and, and, and decent human beings. Um, but one thing that I really try to do in lab, uh, is whenever we are talking about research that we don't like, or if students are talking about faculty in a class that they're struggling with or whatever, um, and it comes up most if we're reading a study that we think was not well done, um, to really avoid like bad mouthing people and being mean about Mm -hmm. it and trying to Mm -hmm. say, okay, so why might it have been that this study has many too few participants or Mm -hmm. they did this analytic technique that we don't approve of, Mm -hmm. or why might the professor be scheduling things like that in a way that seems totally unreasonable? Um, Just as a, as a way of doing like, um, you know, mental, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where you're standing in someone else's shoes, just you know, mind reading of of other people. Mm-hmm. A theory of <laughs> um, mind. Yeah, right. Uh, in in the interests of you know, like building empathy. Um, because I think that is an exercise that you really um uh, can is cultivated through practice, right? Like when you see mm-hmm. someone doing something, rather than thinking what kind of a terrible person would do that, thinking. I wonder, you know, what the situational pressures are that might be mm-hmm. leading somebody to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when we're talking about like, oh, I don't understand why so-and-so doesn't just dot, 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 think, well, maybe things look very different for so-and-so. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the world is different from their perspective, but they have different kinds of pressures on them. Um, and so that's like, you know, we have never had like a lab meeting that is built around this topic, obviously. But, but I think you know, being deliberate about, um, how, you know, how you, how you talk about other people and the the kinds of exercises that you do when thinking about other people's motivations can help build that indirectly. Mm -hmm. No, I I really like that. Um, yeah. And And I do think it's hard, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it is, it is a, a, like a a lot of things we don't think of as skills, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would think, you know, Julia, you just have a lot of empathy and you're able to see, other people's points of view and, and I don't, and I'm just, I'm just kind of a curmudgeon. Um, but actually I could probably get better on it if I, if I practiced it and worked on it, because I think a lot of these are, are modifiable traits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in, in us and also in, in our, the people we work with. So I think it's really mm-hmm. good to be intentional about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Julia, as you're talking, there's actually one paper in particular that uh, I won't mention, but that I've been grumpy about over the years. Um, and I do think, you know, kind of following on what you said, rather than uh, be grumpy about it in my heart, uh, it, it actually provides a really good opportunity to talk about things like um, the incentive structure in science and, and what, are the, what are the multitude of 
constraints and resources and, and things like that that are facing any lab um, mm-hmm. and just to, to, to be a little more sympathetic that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, no, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is what we often talk about with, with sample size when people will say, you know, we just we just ran a study, it was a within subjects study, you know, that that had a hundred participants. Uh that's what we did, and then I just read the study somebody else did that was between subjects and only had thirty participants or something, and um and and one inclination is to is to bad about that. And one of the things we often talk about is like our lab is very lucky that we are at a school that has a lot of resources and we have federal funding. So we have lots of money and, you know, we have lots of students who have the time available to work in the lab. And like, we are fortunate in a lot of ways that makes it easier for us. And we like the participant population that we work with is undergraduates. So they're like easy to get participants. Um, And so even if, even if we have the same, some of the same like scientific pressures to publish and get papers out and those kinds of things, like, we're really fortunate in ways that a lot of other people aren't. And so, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a reframe from look at those, look at those lazy scientists who had an underpowered study mm-hmm. to we're lucky in a lot of ways. And, you know, we shouldn't yeah. take that for granted. Well, and there's also, I mean, there's also kind of like the, the luck or privilege of having the education to know that something's underpowered. Mm-hmm. And there are a mm-hmm. lot of people who, who don't have the same, the same training. Right. And mm-hmm. so you don't want to kind of, you know, give them a hard time for something that really isn't their fault. Uh, but, but, but it's more, more, how can we, you know, support the field and kind of move everyone towards doing better science. And, and maybe that's not everyone doing it my way. Maybe that's just trying to, you know, to do some more education and uh, open up opportunities for people without resources or, or the background. Yeah. Something that's also been interesting for me is, uh, and I, I don't, I don't know if I can think of a specific example right now, and if I could, maybe that's not the point, but, but having my own lab for several years now, there are things that I used to look at other people who ran labs and be grumpy about. Why did they uh. do so-and-so? Why did they do this? Why don't they do X, Y, and Z? And now that I have, you know, I'm experiencing a lot of the same pressures and constraints and, and whatever, um, I'm, I'm either doing those same things or I totally get why those things were done. And so mm-hmm. I do you know, kind of looking back on my former self, I, I kind of roll my eyes at myself for, for not having as much empathy or not, not doing all the things we're talking about. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like you walk a mile in someone's shoes before mm-hmm. you judge them. Uh, and now I, I totally get, get things. I mean, just, you know, anyway, just, just the time and resource constraints and, and, um, various career and grant type pressures, um, make, you know, make some things just really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But here's here's a here's a trivial example, but I think people will understand what I mean. There's sort of like a, a, a there's a stereotype that is kind of true, which is why it's a stereotype that like, you know, if you get a, a senior person, if you email a senior person, a, a full professor, a PI, whatever, like the more senior you get, the more short your replies get. Right. So mm-hmm. like, you know, so so the joke is like the senior rep- professor either doesn't ever reply or just writes back. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's all. Uh, and then like the junior people, like a, a postdoc or a graduate student, you write them email, you get like a two page thoughtful reply where they've really spent time thinking about it. Uh, and so I remember being on the receiving end of all of these really terse emails. You know, I'd write like a four paragraph 
uh, uh, email with lots of questions and my explanation and my rationale. And then I get back, you know, yes or no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that seems kind of rude and, and not very, you know, considerate or whatever. And now I'm the one who's like, you know, just yes. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. I, don't have time to, I don't have time to be more thoughtful, even though I would like to be. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's, that's a, yeah, that's a easy example that, you know, hopefully I think, I think my lab feels like I communicate well enough, but, but I do not send long emails to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that also brings up another like soft skill about uh, communication, like interpersonal communication and digital communication. Um, and I think uh, my students l- learn how to communicate and how to like, you know, cold email people um, and, and those kind of digital communication skills in a lot of different ways. But that's definitely something that we talk about a ton. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if somebody's like applying to graduate school, they say, oh, you know, do I email the person who I'm applying to work with? Um, and I would say, yes, and this is how you do it. And if you want to send me a draft and we can talk about it um, uh, to, to give them a lot of guidance about, you know, how to reach out to people who don't know them in a way that makes those people be interested to talk more to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that this also kind of gets uh, something you've touched on before, too, but um, people, people in our labs, people we, we teach, you know, are all coming from very different backgrounds. And for some people, there might be some communication styles that come very naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and for other people, maybe not if they don't have the same, you know, background experience, intuition. And so by trying to be explicit about that, it helps level the playing field yeah. instead of sort of assuming that everyone I'm just going to pick something which I don't even know if this, you know, I'm not trying to get into the specifics, but if someone who has never met me before emails me, do they email, dear Jonathan, dear Dr. Peel, hey, like, how do you start your email, right? And and, mm-hmm. and some people, I don't tend to care about that stuff so much, but some people really do. And how do you, yeah. how do you navigate that, right? Yeah. And I, I have had um, students in the past many times um, who uh, kind of not knowing those rules and trying to be respectful, like would email me as dear Ms. Strand or mm-hmm, dear mm-hmm. Mrs. Strand. And it's because, you know, in high school, they learned that that's how you address your women who are your teachers. Um, and in academia, a lot of women who have PhDs um, get frustrated about being addressed as that because the proper title is is doctor. And the idea is that people are much more likely to call women Ms. A woman who is a doctor, Ms. Than a man who is a doctor, Mister. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so see it as a as a sign of, res- of disrespect. Um, and when you know when when my sweet trying to be respectful eighteen year old students do that, I know that it's not a sign of disrespect. It's just that they don't know. And so I will you know answer their email and then in the PS say, Hey, just so you know, and you know basically explain what I just said emphasizing, I know that you did not mean any disrespect. I just want this to be clear. So, you know, so, you know, for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the kind of thing where in response to that, I feel like your options are to, to, to do what I just described, um, to not say anything uh, or to like be kind of mean to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seems like in that situation where it's just clearly a, a function of like not knowing the rules um, nicely explaining the rules in a non-threatening way that makes it clear that you're not mad or, you know, don't feel disrespected um, is clearly the best thing to help the students for, for future interactions. So that seems like the kind of thing that's like pretty low hanging fruit in terms of teaching soft skills kindly and gently. That's a good mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like that. 
Well, and I, 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 I kind of just to pick up on something that was implicit in what you said, but is to not be afraid to have a direct conversation about these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I was speaking for myself. I would be, I would be a little bit hesitant because on the one hand, I, I wish they would know this thing, but I don't want, I don't want to put them in a situation where they feel like I'm correcting them or that they feel like they did something wrong. And, and how do mm-hmm. I do that? And so I think for, you know, it, it might be, tempting to just like not address it if it's if it's not yeah, something that's yeah. a huge deal mm-hmm. but i think you know what, what you're saying is like these are all opportunities for us to to do some extra teaching and mentoring um mm-hmm. with a pretty it's a pretty low bar for for doing that i think i have i've had moments where i've thought oh i don't want to have this conversation with this student um and and in the back of my head i thought something like well either either this student is going to learn this from you or they're going to learn it from somebody else who Mm-hmm. who may be less kind and charitable and think less about their feelings while they're teaching mm-hmm. it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's been a good motivator for me to, you know, pull somebody aside after lab meeting or something and say, Hey, you said this thing. And let me tell you why, you know, that may have been perceived as disrespectful or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. There was, there was one time where a student in lab meeting um, made, uh, I don't remember the content, but it, but uh, I don't remember what exactly, but we were reading a paper that was published in like 1984 and all three of the authors were women. And I had said something, I had said something about like, oh, I just, you know, I noticed that all three of these authors were women and we were talking about it later. And then we found, the student found something he didn't like. And he said something, he said what I thought was, well, it's all ladies. But what he actually <laughs> said is, well, it was the 80s. And he was uh-huh. like talking about why they did the statistics the way they did or something. Uh-huh. But I heard it's all ladies. And I just got so ready to like throw down in lab meeting and have this big conversation about uh-huh. sexism and science. Uh-huh. And then I realized you said, I was like, okay, so that is not a lesson you need to teach right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Put away your anger. Right. Right. That's like, that's like a meta example because you study speech perception and like speech perception <laughs> errors, right? It's like the perfect, uh, you know, lexical ambiguity sort of, you know, where you don't know what the word was driving uh-huh. a whole different interpretation. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, another, another soft skill that I think a lot about teaching my students, um, is that, that they deserve to, to be here. We talk, uh, we talked about a lab meeting, um, over the summer about imposter syndrome. And, uh, Oh, we also have a podcast episode about this. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in, I'll put a link. <laughs> um, uh, and, and it was actually, it was a really fruitful and, and nice conversation. Um, and one of the things that the students said is that what helps them the most with their imposter syndrome is just hearing that other people have it and, you know, hearing, hearing about how other people have dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like those feelings like, you don't deserve here and you don't belong um, are, are so hard to deal with and so pernicious and, um, and, and so widespread that that seems like the kind of thing that would be, you know, many of these skills are not things you would schedule a whole lab meeting around, but I, I think I periodically am going to do that. Um, and be, because I think it is one that is um, really useful and really, really widespread. Mm-hmm. Um, it also gives the opportunity to talk uh, also about about issues of um, diversity and equi- uh, diversity and equity and inclusivity um, because imposter syndrome may be something that is felt particularly clean, keenly by historically excluded minorities in in you know whatever organization you're you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I'm I'm planning to 
set aside time to talk about imposter syndrome more. I thought that was a really useful conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to um, have this discussion with you is I'm trying to be more intentional about. So I think I think I really like the idea of of you know working these skills into everyday communication and everyday teaching in the lab and things like that. But I also um, think that some of these are, are important to just, you know, have actual discussions about, mm-hmm. um, and maybe it's not a whole lab meeting, but just to bring up as a topic. Uh, and I think imposter syndrome is a really good one to sort of just be able to talk about. And also, you know, also one that hopefully if I, as a more senior person in the field, am willing to share my experience with it, that that may be helpful to, to other people. Yeah. Right, it sort of normalizes it um, yeah. for for more junior people. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've never really thought about it in this way before. But when I think about like what I'm doing in my lab and why, um, a big part of it is that I want to expand human knowledge and learn more about the most fascinating process in the world, which is how people understand speech. Um, but that's really only part of it. Like uh, a, a major focus of what I do and the reason that I have a lab is to like train people to to think like scientists and and not just like train them to do science, but like train them to do science or whatever endeavor you know they're going to end up pursuing um, in a way that is like sustainable and enjoyable and inclusive um, and. You know, and so that means like having a good relationship between work and life and, you know, finding mm-hmm. finding ways of doing work that you really enjoy in a way that you really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that boy. Mm-hmm. Well, would, and, would, and also kind of critical thinking too, right? Like some yeah. of the, even some of the methodological stuff is like, well, we're going to do a project. What's, what's the best way to do it and, mm-hmm. and why? Right. And, yeah, and that's absolutely. something you can apply to, to lots of stuff in, in life. You know, you're, you're yeah. whatever you're going to mow the lawn. Like you should figure out the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. We are so like we are so fortunate in so many ways to have, you know, the, the, the jobs to, to have jobs that we really enjoy. Um, and I feel like to have the potential to give so much back to the students that we work with. Right. Like it, it is a it is a remarkable opportunity to get to work closely with really smart young people um and you know and 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 train them in ways um that helps the work that we're doing yes but you know also helps them too um and and I kind of feel like one of the one of the the prices one of the like things that we owe the world by having really great jobs that give us lots of flexibility and lots of you know let us satisfy intellectual curiosity and all of that um is really doing right by the next generation. And that means not just stuffing their heads full of facts and how to, you know, how to do science, but, um, but also all these other things too. So mm-hmm. I, uh, soft skills is a bad name. Cause it sounds like it's just like kind of extra stuff that goes in around the edges, but I think it's, it's, sh- it should be a, an important part of the curriculum. I agree. I, I was trying to think of, we do need a better name then. We, we've talked about a lot of things on the show, Julia, that have like lousy names, yeah. right? Like, like networking. We don't like networking. And imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Exactly. Yeah, not so good. Uh, so maybe you and I just need to like redefine the English language uh, maybe, and have our own little dictionary. Well, but, I yeah. feel like, but I feel like all of these words too, like come because, because they have some like baggage that's associated with 
with the concept, right? Like one of the things we don't like about imposter syndrome is, is that it's a syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, that there's something like pathological or wrong with you for having it. Um, but that is like, what is implied by it. So I feel like right. it's just right. reframing these issues. And because we're word nerds, we want to talk about, <laughs> talk about the words right. associated with them. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So dear listeners, if you think of a good alternate term, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we would also love to hear from you about any number of other things. You can always email us at thejuiceandsqueeze at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who has been um, emailing us. We've had some requests lately for stickers. You can fill out the form on our website or send us an email, and we will send you stickers in the mail, real live, old-timey mail. It's you know it's a really good way to support the postal service, and oh, we're very we're very happy to pay for the postage to do it. So do your part and and request some stickers. <laughs> well done. All right, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. All right, bye everybody.